Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Well, we're going to continue this morning in our series on the book of Ephesians, setting things straight. As you know, we are right in the middle of the book of uh, uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Today we'll finish off through chapter uh, 4. Those of you who are reading along with us, uh, this has been something that has truly helped every single one of us, I think, grow in our faith. I love the way Paul communicates and really excited to share uh, what, what he has for us uh, in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 um, today. Just before I get into the message, I want to just ask you to do something with me. I'd like for you to just kind of go back in time, if you will, uh, to the age of 10. For you, it might be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, you were 10 years old. Do me a favor, just take a moment, just take a moment, go back to when you were 10 years old. Think of where you're living, what's happening in your life. And then ask yourself this question, what was I passionate about when I was 10 years old? What was my passion when I was 10 years old? What were you thinking about doing with your life? Was there anything in particular that you were focused on? Was there something that just kind of grabbed your attention? 10 years old, do me a favor, do you have that? Now tell your neighbor real quick, just in in five seconds or less, what it was you wanted to do when you were 10 years old. Go ahead, take a second, do that, do that. If you're online, maybe share with Pastor Jonas what it was you wanted to do when you were 10 years old, 10 years old. There's just no way you had all of that when you were 10 years old. Here, here, here's, for me, when I was 10 years old, here's, here's a look at what I wanted to be. Yep, that's me, 10 years old, solid 85 pounds, four foot seven, 1991. My nickname was El Perro. And uh, I played for Team Phillips 66. So Little League, we were all sponsored by a local business. I represented Phillips 66. I'll tell you what, I wanted to be a ball player when I was 10 years old. This is what I dreamt of. I wanted to be not just a ball player. I wanted to be an all-star. Like I, so for me, my team was the Seattle Mariners, Ken Griffey Jr., right? So this is who I wanted to be. I wanted to hit a home run and hear the stadium just scream my name. I wanted to circle the bases. I wanted to be the best baseball player that I could possibly be. That's all I could think about. And now that I look back, I realize why I never became an all-star in the major league base, you know, in the, in the major league baseball, major league baseball. <laughs> That's why. There's a few things I want to point out. Number one, Maybe I should have paid a little bit more attention to some of the skills and the fundamentals of baseball, like uh, maybe a little bit less time watching Saved by the Bell and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and a little bit more time outside, right? Uh, maybe putting the ball on the tee and doing some tee work, letting the ball get inside, hitting that, you know, drive the ball. I, I, I knew what I should be doing. There was just something about Saved by the Bell that just drew me to the TV, right? Fresh Prince of Bel Air, maybe at night, maybe a little less snacking on the hot Cheetos and the soda, right? A little bit more vegetables and and, and some smoothies and maybe getting up in the morning and going out for a run, keeping my body fit and ready to go to play this game at the highest level. Anybody with me, right? There's a reason why 
I had to say I wanted to be a ball player, but I was never really a ball player. I played baseball in, in, uh, in Little League, played baseball in high school, played baseball in college, and then that was it um, for me. But surely as I look back, there were some habits, some bad habits that I needed to throw off and certainly some, some good habits that I needed to put on. My dad bought me this net, and if you throw the ball at the bottom of the net, it'd give you a pot fly. If you throw the ball at the top of the net, it'd give you a ground ball. And if you throw the ball right into the middle of the net, it'd come right back at you the way you threw it. I should have spent more time. I should have put more effort into those good habits. And I should have done a better job of throwing off some of the bad habits. Uh, I, should have, I, should have, I should have stewarded my time maybe a little bit better. It's easy for me to look back at this point in my life and now ask, like, man, what, what should have changed, right? Like, what should have changed? And then when I think about the Christian life, as, as I think about being a follower of Christ, what have been the things that have kept me from being a true follower of Christ? Maybe you ask yourself the question today, what are the things in my life that have continued to plague me? What, what are the things that I should have thrown off? I, I've yet to throw off these things in my life so that I could be, so I could be a follower of Christ. Many of us say that we are followers of Christ, but there's a difference between saying that you are a believer in Christ and being a believer in Christ. What do I throw off of my life and what do I put on? What do I put on in my life so that I could be a follower of Christ? The question that we're really asking this morning is, is, is this, what's got to change? I mean, what's got to change? Ephesians chapter 1 and, and 2 and 3 uh, is a thorough explanation, a very thorough explanation of all that God has done for us. Uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, Paul's prayer, we can read through his prayer. It's a prayer uh, for the body, for the body of believers that we would truly understand all of this, that we would understand what he's writing and that every believer would actually tap in to the power that's been made available to us. Paul really in chapters one through three gives us this thorough theology. And then in chapters four, five, and six, it's kind of more about the reality of being a follower of Christ, right? So, so, so for a long time, the Achilles heel of the church has, has, has really been um, the gap between information and application. That's kind of what's plagued us as a church, as long as I've been alive. It's, it's not that we don't have the information. It's not that we have a lack of knowledge. We've been blessed with the ability to learn about Christ and all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus. We, we know this. However, what has plagued us, what has become the Achilles heel of the church is the gap between knowing and actually doing, right? The, the gap between information and application. And so here's what we know. We know that it really doesn't matter how much you know if what you know hasn't changed you, if it has not changed your conduct, if it hasn't changed your behavior. 
In today's reality, right now, 2021, in today's reality, if you are not walking what you are talking, you're causing more confusion for the body of believers and truly hurting the witness of Christ for the world. For the world who is watching. And, and, and you just have to know, and I just need to be reminded that the world really is watching. The world is watching. They are watching to see what is the difference in conduct. What is the difference in behavior? What really is the difference in a person who calls themselves a believer and one who does not? And this is what Paul is exactly writing to us today. Paul is writing to us that now you know what God has done. You know the work that God has done through his son Jesus on your behalf. Four through six is a call to changed conduct. How are you living in light of what God has done for you? What is the result? What has come from your life? After knowing Jesus, Ephesians 4 really takes a turn. Paul now calls us to live a life of integrity. Who are you when nobody else is watching? What kind of conversations are you having in secret? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing when no one else is paying attention to you? A change of conduct is really what Paul is calling us to. All right, so now we get to our primary text. And as we love to do here at our church, we like to stand for the reading of the word. And that's exactly what we are going to be doing this morning. For those of you who will be reading with us, Ephesians chapter 4. Take your Bible, open to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 17 through 24. I'll be reading out of the NLT uh, translation. If you have that, feel free to read um, along with me. Let's all do this together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And it says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for your word. We believe that your word is alive and active. And Holy Spirit, we pray that as we work through this text that you would truly do a work in our hearts, surface the things in our lives that we 
need to pay attention to, that we need to address. God, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have today to gather together in a beautiful room and talk through your word. What a privilege to know you. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to learn about you, to acquire this knowledge, this information about the work you did for us through your son, Jesus. We just are so grateful for that this morning. God, I pray for your church. I pray for every family represented in this house, the needs that they've come to this building with today. I just pray you would work things out for our good. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated right there where you are. And thank you for participating uh, in that with us. Uh, As you now have sensed through this portion that we will be working through Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24 are some very strong words. As a matter of fact, there will be a few times uh, when I'm sharing today and reading through some of these verses uh, that I'm going to jump into the message translation because I just have always appreciated the simplicity and the straightforwardness that the message translation gives us. So every once in a while I will reference uh, where that is Uh, because I just want to share that with you. So let's just go ahead and get started with verse number 17. And it says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Now this is Paul talking to the body of believers, right? Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. And I just think it's important to to make sure that we know that Paul is referencing the Gentiles, okay? So, So he's not writing this particular next two or three verses to the body of believers, he is referencing Gentiles. Gentiles are those who were not Jews. Anybody who was not a Jew, any nation, and not a follower of Christ. We know that in Ephesians 2, uh, I believe 18 or 19, uh, followers, uh, Gentiles who accepted Jesus were brought together, Jews and Gentiles were becoming, they became one, right? They're no longer Jew, they were no longer Gentile. They were followers, children of Christ. So Paul is not talking in this particular verse to believers. He is saying, he's writing to believers about Gentiles who are non-followers of Christ. So if you're in the room today and you would say, I am not a follower of Christ, First of all, I think it's fantastic that you would even join us and be a part of this conversation. But Paul is going to help us remember what life was like B.C. When you see the word Gentile, that is life before Christ for any of us. Okay, so Paul is saying uh, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Live no longer as you did before Christ, for they are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly references this idea that when you know Christ, that is our hope, right? The blessed hope is that this is not our only life, right? Many have said this is like the rehearsal to like the big life, the good life, right? Our blessed hope is eternity with Jesus. When you are not a follower of Christ, that hope is not there. You are hopeless, right? And we know that confusion is certainly uh, very familiar to those who do not know Christ. In the message, the, the, the language used is actually, do not go along with the crowd, That's the confusion is that when you do not belong to Christ, you live a purposeless life. Like you can accomplish so much throughout a day as a good person, as a great mind, as a great thinker, as a great leader. But when you go to bed at night, you have this thought, 
What am I doing and what is my purpose? What am I doing and what is my purpose? Paul is saying, uh, live no longer like you used to be for Christ. He goes on to say in verse 18, their minds, again, talking about those who are not followers of Christ, are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. This word wander, I highlighted it because it's important to note that in other translations, it can mean alienated. It can mean alienated or estranged. Like when you are not connected to Christ, when you are not a child of Christ, then you are estranged from the life of God, disconnected. Another good word is isolated, like all by yourself. Isn't it amazing how you can be in a room full of people and yet feel like you are all by yourself? That's exactly what Paul is saying. Before Christ, you are isolated, estranged from God. Their minds and, and, and harden their hearts. This word harden is like calloused. You know, for those of you who have maybe has, you know, have some callous, take a look at your hands. Maybe you've got some calluses on your hands or on your feet. I heard that on the bottom of your feet, they're calluses. On the top of your feet, they're corns. That's what they say. Apparently, callous and corn, depending on what side of the foot it's on. But either way, calloused, uh, to, to have a calloused hand, it doesn't take place overnight. No, a callous comes from a, a period of time, right? Friction on your skin. Calloused is a hard part of your skin, like it loses sensitivity. Another way that calloused is referenced is dead skin. Have you ever heard anyone say it's, it's, it's dead skin? That's exactly what the picture that Paul is painting is that when you are away from Christ, it's like your heart becomes dead. It loses its sensitivity. Your, your mind is dark. Your, your, your heart, you've, you, you have isolated yourself away from God and your heart has become calloused, dead to the things of God. He goes on in verse 19 with this same thought. They have no sense of shame. What a place to live when you have no sense of shame. You know, you know, you know maybe just this week, maybe you made an error. Maybe you made a mistake. And, and because of the conviction that we have as followers of Christ, you have this sentiment of like, I, I knew better. I could have made a better decision. I shouldn't have done that. You have this conviction. It's a gift that we have as Christians, correct? It's a gift that, that, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and convicts us, right? He helps guide us. Well, when you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have a sense of conviction. You don't have a sense of Shame And Paul is referencing, like, like, do you remember? Like, don't go back to life where there was no sense of shame. Further, they live for lustful pleasure, not just pleasure, not like driving to Texas Roadhouse and ordering your 12-ounce ribeye with a side of sweet potato. Like, that's pleasure, right? That's like, this is the best. No, Paul is saying we're talking lustful pleasure, which is really what Satan does. Satan takes pleasure and he perverts it, right? It is pleasure it, it, from Satan's end of the spectrum is perverted pleasure. And Paul is saying, pleasure when you don't know Jesus is perverted. It is lustful and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Not just, you know, it's like this sense of, have you ever heard of this word called uh, licentiousness? 
Licentiousness is sin that flaunts itself. It's like sin in your face. It's like I'm doing it because I want to do it and I don't even care if you like it or you don't like it. I like this stuff. It has like tones of rebelliousness in it. Life before Christ. Life without Christ is a hopeless life. It is a confusing life. And then all of a sudden, Paul goes from painting this picture of life before Christ to this but. And anytime you see the word but in the Bible, you know that it's about to change directions, right? So Paul is writing, you're walking this direction, don't live without Christ, don't live without Christ. But, but something important is about to come. Verse, verse 20 is a game changer. He goes on to say, but... That isn't what you, followers of Christ, learned about Christ. Here's where the change becomes. Here's where the change of conduct comes into play. But that isn't what you learned. As a matter of fact, he emphasizes that one more time. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth, can we just take 10 seconds and be grateful and, and, and acknowledge the privilege that it's been to sit under amazing ministry and learn the truth that comes from him. What a privilege it has been for me all of my life to have access to the word of God and to learn the truth to truly understand all that God has done for me, despite my wrongdoing, despite my shortcomings, to have the privilege of going to college and learning at an academic level, higher education about the word of God and to sit under great ministry. My whole life I've heard the Bible preached. Even now to sit under his ministry, Pastor Neil's ministry, and hear him teach the word of God. What a privilege it is for us to have learned the truth. And I think that's what Paul is doing. I think Paul is saying, hey, don't forget, you have learned the truth after Christ, after death. Our lives are different now. It used to look like this. But now what are you going to throw off? What are you willing to throw off and what are you going to put on as a result of what you've learned? Paul's calling us to a, a changed conduct, different behavior. He goes on in verse 22. So throw off your old sinful nature. Like this is an action, painting a picture of like clothing, right? You, you take off something and you throw it off. You, you throw off the sinful nature, who I was before Christ. The things that I was involved in before Christ, before I knew Jesus, before I walked with Jesus, I threw this stuff off. I threw it off. And your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception, an accurate picture of all of our lives before Jesus. An accurate picture of life today without Jesus. Yet Paul says, what are you going to throw off? Remember we asked the question, what's got to change? We're at the point of the message where it's time to start thinking through what the answer really is. 
And Paul gives us the application part. If the gap is between information and application, Paul is now saying, here's the application. Now that you know, now that you've learned, the first step of application is to throw off, to throw off the bad habits, to throw off the sinful nature, to get rid of, and nobody can do this for you. Nobody can do this for me. This is an action step that I must take. Evaluating my life as I read through Ephesians 4, it's like looking in a mirror. What do I need to throw off so that I don't have to say I'm a Christian so that I can be a Christian? I don't want to say that I'm a follower of Christ. I want to be a follower of Christ. Just like in that baseball, a 10-year-old kid who had aspirations to be a, a, a professional baseball player. There were, there were things that had to get thrown off. You just have to get rid of those bad habits and you've got to put on good habits. If I could talk to my 10 year old self, that's exactly what I'd say. You've got to pay attention to the fundamentals every single day. You've got to go outside and be willing to do the work, the work that nobody else is willing to do. Like there's a reason why ball players rise to the top. And there's a reason why you look across churches all over America and all over the world. And every once in a while you see this, this, this believer who is just certain, just chasing God, just this pursuit. And you hear their backstory and you're like, it's amazing to see what God has done in your life. And they have this, this tunnel focus, this tunnel vision, this focus on who God is. And every day they throw off sinful nature and every day they put on good habits it's an everyday thing for us. It's an everyday thing for us. Going down to verse 24, Paul says, so put on. First, throw off. Secondly, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Truly righteous and holy. Set apart. Truly I don't say I'm a follower of Christ. I am a follower of Christ. And I don't make this decision once in a lifetime. I make this decision every single day. I throw off and I put on. I throw off and I put on. The message translation of this particular verse says, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Every day, God is working in me and he is causing my conduct to be a pure reflection of him. It's an everyday thing. It is literally picking up his cross every single day. We know, we have learned, we have the information, we've gained the knowledge. Now it's time to apply what we've learned. Now it's time to apply it to our everyday life. Paul says that for the Christian, 
there must be a break with the past. I mean, there just must be a break from the past. Jesus isn't merely added into our old life. Like when you give your life to Jesus, you're not just bringing Jesus into your life. No, the old life, remember we talked about this, the old life actually dies. The old life dies and he becomes our life. He becomes our new life. Think of a prisoner, 15, 20 years spent in prison behind bars and every day he wakes up and he puts on this bright orange jumpsuit every day because he has to. And then one day he comes and he's released from prison And when he's released from prison, he walks out of that prison cell and out of that facility in his bright orange jumpsuit. And he's going to the gas station, he's going to Texas Roadhouse, and he comes to church, and he's in this orange jumpsuit. And you would would say like, you don't have to wear that anymore. For 15 years, that was your identity. Paul is saying, throw that off and put on something new. Like walk in your new life. That's the picture that Paul is painting for us. Maybe this will help you. It's, it's a, apparently it's going up north season here in Minnesota. And when you do that, time spent outside is really where it's at. And so 99 cent salt shaker from your local Walmart will do for your picnics all throughout the summer. And what Paul is really saying to us is what I'm, what I'm looking for, what, what, what comes as a result of knowing this is that you just don't, you, I'm just not saying put Jesus on everything you do now. I gave my life to Jesus. I went to church on Sunday. They talked about how he'll change my life. And so I actually invited him to be a part of my life. And so now I'm just learning that in everything that I do, that I need to put a little Jesus on it. Everything that I do, I just need to put a little Jesus on it. That means that at our next picnic, we're going to pray for our food and put a little Jesus on it. And the next time I go, I'm going to actually be nice to the clerk and put a little Jesus on it. And for too long, the church has just been concerned about making sure we put a little bit of Jesus on everything that we do. And I'll tell you what, that's a trap. That is not what this is asking us to do. What Jesus is really saying is, I want you to get inside the bottle. That's what I want you to do. I want you to get inside the bottle and I want you to become the salt. I want to put on a new life for you. I want there to be a clean break with the past, whatever it was, whoever you were prior to knowing me, I don't want that for you anymore. I want there to be a brand new person. Get inside the bottle, get inside the bottle. That's what he's really saying to us. Listen, Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Later down the verse, he says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. You're the flavor. Listen, we do have categories in our life. We've got our physical 
you go to the gym, you eat right, you pay attention to that, you've got your financial, you've got your income, you've got your out, you know, outgoing expenses, you pay attention to that. You've got your relationships, who's my friend, you feed those relationships, you spend time with them. You've got your marriage, you've got your family, you've got your career, you've got all these different categories in our life. And here in America, we also have the spiritual category of my life. On the weekends, we go to church in the morning and then we all go to lunch together and we check off the box and we do our daily duties and we're nice to people and we do good works and what Jesus is saying is listen I don't want you to have a category to put me in I want to be the top of every category of your life every single category the very first thing on top the priority of every single category is Jesus it's Jesus every single category of my life it's Jesus first it's Jesus first. Paul is saying, how are you living in light of what God has done for you through his son, Jesus? You remember we asked the question, what's got to change? What's got to change? That's the question we're really asking today. What's got to change? What, is, what do you got to throw off? What do you have to take off, get rid of, make a clean break with? Like, what are the things done in secret? What's the perversion? What are the things, what are, where, where are the lustful desires? What is it that you've got to make a clean break with and say, this is not how you live as a follower of Christ. I want to be a follower of Christ. Remember as a baseball player, I wanted to be a baseball player, yet I couldn't stop eating hot Cheetos with nacho cheese and a Pepsi. I said I wanted to be a ball player. I didn't do what was necessary to be a ball player. Well, now I say I want to be a Christ follower. Am I doing what is necessary to be a Christ follower? What's got to change? What is it that has to change in me? See, we're privileged. We have this gained knowledge. This, we've acquired the information. Now it's about the application. So our big so what, if, you, if you're here and it, you kind of got lost in the message, maybe, you, maybe at the salt shaker, you just completely just like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. He's talking about salt. I mean, how? here's, here's the big so what for us. Knowledge not applied is garbage. If you know it and you don't do it, it's worthless. It has no value. It causes confusion to the body and it's a horrible witness to the world of the transformation that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So the big now what? Let's go to the big now what? Our response is this, live for Christ every day. The application for us today, we're doers of the word. We are doers. We're not just hearers of the word. We are doers of the word to live for Christ every single day, to take this idea of throwing off and putting on every single day, every single day. Every single day.